Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Derek O'Reilly, and for over 30 years, I've been a licensed London taxi driver. For 20 years, I taught the knowledge to prospective London cab drivers. During this podcast... I'm going to be joined by experts who are going to bring the forgotten and secret history of London to life. Today I'm joined by a near neighbour and very good friend. And he's going to discuss with me famous people that were actually born in London who moved away to make it. Hiya, my name is Jamie Cartwright, and if you're ever interested in the finest walking tours in London, join me and my fellow guides at London with a Local. The tours are free, also known as pay-as-you-want tours. Check out our website, www.londonwithalocal.com. Jamie, good morning to you. Good morning, Derek. How are you doing? I'm very good, mate. Now, I went to school in Leytonstone, and just up the road for me, was a pub called the Alfred Hitchcock Hotel. Oh, right. Now, that tells me that Alfred Hitchcock was actually born in Leytonstone. He was. He was indeed, yeah. Master of Suspense, the uh, the alternative nickname there. Yeah, he's 1889, I believe, he was born in Leytonstone. Um, he was the child of a greengrocer, and they also moved to Limehouse, and they began running a fish and chip shop. I mean, is there a more clichéd London childhood you could probably have there, greengrocer and a fish and chip shop. His favourite subject at school was geography. He became obsessed with maps, railways, trams, bus timetables, and that's why in a lot of his movies you'll see a lot of trains and trams. Okay. And How old was his... he when he sort of uprooted and, and moved away? It was in the 1930s when he was convinced to head on over to Hollywood. Right. Um, he'd had major success in 1929 with a film called Blackmail, and that was officially the first ever British talkie movie. Um, he'd also made The 39 Steps, Lady Vanishes. You know, the right, Lodger. so he had had some achievements in yeah, England before a, he left. He's had a few here, yeah, before. Right, OK. He'd, uh, he'd gone over there, yeah. Um, and one of my favourite things about him is he always put himself into the background yeah. of his movies. And so many directors have done this in a homage to him. Some just put themselves in the movies right. full on, like Quentin Tarantino. But you look at someone like James Cameron um, in Titanic, where Kate Winslet is being drawn you know, on the shade launch, that, that's... James Cameron's hands actually drawing a Wes Craven. Right, so that's like a tribute to Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, because when you hear him speak, he didn't have a sort of what you'd call a London accent as such. 
but he had a he had a sort of an English accent. Yeah, the, I mean, it wasn't exactly that transatlantic thing that uh, someone like Cary Grant had. Yeah, because he was from Bristol, I believe. Yeah, but yeah, because that was just one of the most unique voices in Hollywood. But, but yeah, he still maintained this very almost stuffy Victorianness to him, even up until yeah. the 1970s and yeah. to his death. He and there's it. actually a petrol station in Leytonstone with a plaque on it to him. Oh, yeah. And there's a shop just along from there and it's painted in birds as a sort of a tribute to his oh, film, fantastic. The Birds. So anyway, moving along from Hitchcock, I know you've got a few other gems for me. Yeah, I just wanted to see if you could guess these really and okay, I'm almost have a certain that you're going to get them. But uh, which, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you to, to completely destroy me here. Here we go. Okay. First one. This man was born in 1887 in Forest Hill Road in Camberwell. Right. I think I know who this is. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm doing and well. I'll tell you why. Because it, the plaque is above a shop and it comes out on the knowledge. Right. There isn't an awful lot else in that area that they can ask candidates to see if they've been there. So they usually ask. Is it Boris Karloff? It is. It is Boris Karloff. There you go. So we're off to a flyer. Good. I've right. done well now, Can you tell me a bit more about <laughs> Boris, please? Because I am interested. Um, well, his birth name was William Henry Pratt. Bless him. Um, at the time, by the way, Camberwell was part of the county of Surrey. So it's nowadays part of the borough of Southwark. So I'm going to use modern zoning rather than Oh, yeah. Victorian well, there's other zone. parts of London at a time that weren't considered to be London. They were of Middlesex. Course, yeah. I mean, Tottenham, for example, in North yeah. London, was actually Middlesex at one time. Oh, oh right. Oh, OK. So, so you're saying Tottenham... Yeah. Tottenham Hotspur was, was, was not in, was really... It, well, it was Middlesex. Oh, so, so they're not really the first No, North so I'll, I'll allow you to sort of use oh. Surrey, although oh. Forest Hill is now SC25, I think it is, or something like so, that. Yeah. 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 Um, it feels weird to say, uh, to call him Pratt, so I'll call him Karloff. Uh, Karloff's father, Edward, was Anglo-Indian, and his mother also had Indian heritage, so this gave him a slightly darker complexion that differed from his peers at the time. Right. His maternal great-aunt was known as Anna Leonowens, whose tales about life in the royal court of Siam, modern Thailand, were the basis for the musical The King and I. Oh, so right. he had a little hint of a, uh, shall we say, a showbiz connection before. Yeah, a bit of a theatrical background, yeah. yeah. Uh, he moved to Canada in 1909, drifting between jobs, and then discovered a talent for acting, and that's where he adopted his stage So he name. left Forest Hill and went straight to Canada? Pretty much. Pretty much, okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's quite a leap. It's yeah, quite a leap, yeah, yeah, quite a leap, yeah. And he never legally changed his name. He always was William Henry Pratt. Every check he ever signed, you know, but now and again he'd put next to it, a.k.a. Boris Karloff as well, right. which is a nice touch. yeah. He acted consistently, but he was in over 80 films before he actually became a star as it were, and that was when James Whale turned him into Frankenstein's monster. Which is what we all know him of as, course, really. Yeah. yeah. That was 1931. I mean, nearly a century ago, this yeah. man just burst onto the screen, you know? I mean, that lovely big bulky costume, four-inch platform shoes. Those shoes weighed five kilos each. Wow. That's ridiculous. Um, he'd have to sit in makeup chairs for hours on end, his character would be so sort of instantly iconic. Universal Studios copyrighted that look immediately. Right. Um, he, oh, here's one I love. He was filming The Son of Frankenstein a few years later and his fifth wife went into labour. Fifth wife? His fifth, yeah, he's married six, six times. His fifth oh, wife went into labour with their only child, Sarah. When the news reached him, he was on set 
in costume and he rushed from the set to the hospital in full costume and makeup. <laughs> they were shocked. I mean, that's got a nice half-hour comedy setup alone. Yeah. How a sitcom writer hasn't jumped on that. I want that to be true more than anything. He moved back to London in 1959 to Cadogan Square. To, oh, right, in Chelsea, yeah. Yeah, to number 43. Coincidentally, a few years later, two doors down at number 45, that's where Christopher Lee lived. Um, so Hammer Horror's own Count Dracula. I picked Christopher Lee up in a taxi a few times. Did you really? Yeah, I took him out to Pinewood Studios on an oh, occasion. Okay. Yeah. He just struck me as a frighteningly intelligent but scary dude. I mean, he actually looked scary in real life. Really? Yeah, he was a very nice man. Let's say twice I took him out there. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, he was a nice man. So I didn't realise that. Uh, Boris Karloff had moved next door to him. Yeah, well, they never lived there at the same time, unfortunately, which would be the ultimate dream. Because, yeah. I mean, you got Boris at 43 and Christopher Lee at number 45. Imagine living at number 44. Oh, I mean, right. I, I wouldn't leave the house. Yeah, I mean, I'd be too, <laughs> no, too scared no, to put the not. shutters up, you know. Oh. So Boris, although he moved to Canada and made his fame and fortune in, in America, um, he did move back to the UK. He did, yeah, and he died in, I believe, 1969. He was 81 years old. Okay, very good. So, let's move along from Boris Karloff. All right, let's see, let's see if Who I can... Who else have we got? Let's see if I can stump you. Uh, our next Londoner was born Mary Isabel Catherine Bernadette O'Brien in West Hampstead in 1939. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Yes. I bet she's got some Irish connection in yeah, there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, reckon. Probably, so. possibly, yeah. She was a tomboy as a kid. She always came home covered in dirt playing, from playing football. This led to her nickname, which went on to become the first part of her stage name. There's clue number one. She sang in local pubs and clubs as she got older. She sang with her brother and joined forces with a friend to form a folk pop trio whose name forms the second part of her stage name. No, you still... Good, good. There you go. Well, I'm doing better than Karloff, you know. Absolutely. The NME voted the trio the top British vocal group in 1961 and 62. They appeared several times on Ready, Steady, Go down on Kingsway. But after a trip to Nashville, she decided her sound should lean towards more pop rooted in R&B. So she didn't... She went solo essentially her debut solo single peaked at number four in the uk number 12 in the us it was good timing because it was released a week after the beatles released i want to hold your hand and oh, the same right, okay. week that she loves you went out as well so that put her at the forefront of the british invasion of the us charts she has the honor of being the very first performer to have ever sung on top of the pops all right, Jamie, put me out of my misery. <laughs> Who are we talking about? All right, she. Uh, I'll, I'll give you this. She went into the stratosphere with the song that became her signature. It was originally an Italian song by a composer called Pino Donaggio. Her English language version hit number one in the UK and number four in the US. No, I'm still none the wiser. Oh, I'm, I'm flying now. I can't believe it. I, I feel like I'm winning. It's fantastic. Um, her career had a renaissance in the 90s thanks to her inclusion on the soundtrack of the movie Pulp Fiction. Ah, uh, okay. And she also had a renaissance in the 80s as well when she collaborated with the Pet Shop Boys. Right. So I hope I'm, hope I'm getting I there. I think I might have an idea, but you tell me. Well, her childhood nickname was Dusty. Ah, Dusty Springfield. Go, yeah, her band was called the Springfields. Oh, right, OK. Well, I know that she lived just off of Camden Hill Road at one time in Notting Hill because there is actually a blue plaque on a house there Oh, for her. OK. 
Oh, okay. right. Well, uh, Elton John. I didn't know she was born in West Hampstead. No, no, no. neither did I. Uh, Elton John said that he thought, even though he thought he was biased about it, he said he thinks she was the greatest white singer there has ever been. Every song she sang, she claimed as her own. I mean, that's coming from Elton yeah, John. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the highest yeah. praise. Okay, let's move along. Now, this one, if you get this one straight away, I'm leaving. Born in 1944 in Highgate Underground Station. Why was he born in Highgate? Oh, I suppose the war was at its height. Oh, yeah, it was uh, being used as a bomb shelter. Oh, okay. He spent his first four years in Chandos Road in East Finchley before he and his family moved to Queens, New York. His parents were German-Jewish refugees. They escaped from Landsberg and Awath in Prussia, which is now in West Poland. No, I haven't got a clue. He gained a BA in political science. Uh, he had a Doctor of Law degree. He was a campaign advisor for Robert Kennedy. He ran for Congress in 1970. He was elected to Cincinnati City Council in 71 and 75. He was the mayor of the city council. In 1991, though, this is the giveaway now, he was given his own talk show. Its first series was unsuccessful in the ratings because it was mostly political focus, but with a few major tweaks, it became arguably the most notorious and iconic show of the 90s until its final episode in 2018. Not the Jerry Springer show. Boom, there you go. Really? Now, yeah. I had no idea that Jerry Springer was born in London. Gerald Norman Springer, yeah, born in Highgate Underground Station. <laughs> and what age, do you know what age he moved out of London? I think he was four. Oh, there so he was very, very young. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, so okay. in terms of his memories did he, of Did London, he sort of um, publicise the fact that he was actually a Londoner? I've never heard him speak of it unless he was in... Maybe um, he was four and he wasn't even aware he was yeah, born Yeah, I suppose, in London. yeah. Yeah. Oh, OK. Right, let's move along. Who else <laughs> have we got on our list? Well, this is one of the biggest stars there's ever been. So this man was born in Eltham, south-east London. I'll stop you right there, sir. <laughs> I think I know who this might be. OK, no, Is on. it Bob Hope? Oh, yeah, straight away. Look at that. OK. Tell me more about him. How did he leave Elton? No, I'm leaving. Why did he leave Elton? <laughs> um, well, his family moved to the US right. when he was five years old. So that would have been 1908. Right. So all these moved. people have got a lot in common that they were quite young when they sort of left the country. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like family seeking new pastures, yeah, as it yeah. were. You know, so a lot of them moved when it wasn't their choice to do so, as right. it were, but ended up hitting it big. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, you don't get much ended. bigger than Bob Hope, do no, you, really? No. So tell me a little bit about how he was made, or became successful, I should say. Well, he was a busker when he was a kid, so he'd go on the streetcars and things like that and sing and dance and tell jokes. And one thing I didn't realise about him, he did various jobs, but when he was clearing trees for a power company in 1921 he was on top of a tree and it crashed to the ground and it crushed his face he required major reconstructive surgery which contributed to his very distinct appearance yes as, yeah, as were. yeah yeah so that almost flat yeah flat face, face yeah. thing going on yeah oh right um he performed in vaudeville and broadway and slowly hollywood came calling for him and put him alongside various leading ladies but i've got to say his Partnership with Bing Crosby. Yeah, that's has what to made be. him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did he um, ever sort of make return to London, or did he acknowledge his Britishness? Or oh, very much so. Yeah, he would. He would make returns here. He would perform at the London Palladium and uh, various other things. Um, but he also was a great traveller anyway, because he did a lot of work for the USO 
So he would go all over to war zones and for the American oh, right. military. Yeah, uh, he always had his golf club over his shoulder and right. yeah, tell the jokes and bring out whoever was. But miss, he was quintessentially an American rather than a Brit. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah, one okay. of my favourite things about him is he hosted the Academy Awards nineteen times, but was never nominated once. And he added his supposedly feigned desire to win one into his act. One of the greatest lines I've ever heard. He said while opening the 1968 Oscar ceremony, he said, Welcome to the Academy Awards, or as it's known in my house, Passover. <laughs> oh, superb work. Yeah. Right, who else have we got on this list? Now, this one surprised me, because I always thought she was from Manchester, but she was born in Ealing in 1963, the second child of Irish parents. She was brought up in Withenshaw in Manchester from the age of two. During their childhoods, she and her brother both suffered with retinoblastoma, the rare form of cancer that uh, develops rather rapidly from the immature cells of a retina, leaving her partially sighted in one eye. Oh, right. She studied drama Tragic. at Liverpool Polytechnic and then went into stand-up. She did various characters. And then the comedy character Frank Sidebottom, do you remember him, the guy with the paper mache yeah. head? Yeah. Frank Sidebottom actually got one of her characters onto his uh, album. Can I ask you a question? Did she, give me a clue, did she speak with a Manchester accent or a Liverpool yeah, yeah. accent? Yeah, she did a Manchester accent. She had a Manchester accent. Yeah, there was okay. a hint of Lancashire there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she did this voice on a Frank Sidebottom bottom album. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Album in 1988, while she was working as a receptionist for his show, the character was a quick-witted, no-filter sexagenarian. 
She became a fake agony aunt across the north of England on the radio. She worked with Vic Reeves, Bob Mortimer, Steve Coogan, John Thompson. However, eventually, they gave her her own mock chat show as this character. The guests were real celebs, subject to outrageous questions, like when Bernard Manning was sat there, she, this is so heavy, she said to him about his attitudes, she said, who do you vote for now Hitler's dead? <laughs> went, oh my goodness. She also famously asked wife and assistant of legendary magician Paul Daniels. I've got no idea who this could be now. She said, so what first attracted you to millionaire Paul Daniels? It asked. Oh, too good. It's just perfect writing. Was she Mrs. Merton? Yes. There you go. Carolina That's Hearn. the great Carolina Hearn, yeah. Oh, from the royal family. Sadly yeah. passed away a while yeah, back. Yeah, she left us in 2016. I mean, she was only 52. I mean, yeah. The, so the, she was the, a Londoner? She was, yeah. Well, I didn't know that, because that's why I asked you about the accent. She yeah. didn't come across again with a London accent, did she? No, that's the thing, from, from Ealing, however, moving up yeah. to Manchester age Well, two. I suppose when you move at that age, you're going to have the accent yeah. of, the, of where you moved to. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, but oh, yeah, she's sadly great. Miss Caroline. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's just a one-off, great. complete one-off. Always watch the royal family. Ah, oh, perfect. OK, so who else have we got? Now, this one here, this gentleman was born in Barnes... Richmond-upon-Thames, in 1944. When he was eight years old, he was diagnosed with gigantism. At his peak height, he was seven foot three inches. By the early 70s, he was working as an orderly in King's College Hospital. And by the mid to late 70s, he was working as an orderly in Croydon University Hospital. Okay. And while there, he heard of a young American movie director who was in the UK looking to cast somebody of enormous height for a particular role in what was to become, unbeknownst to everyone, an absolute cinematic phenomenon. His character didn't have any lines, but he modelled his performance on the behaviour of bears, monkeys and gorillas at London Zoo. Oh, interesting. <laughs> OK. Uh, with the movie success came sequels in 1980, 1983, and he reprised his character, but all the while he was still working as an orderly. In what, the he carried hospital. on working he in the hospital? He carried on working in the hospital, yeah. Oh, wow, full credit to him. He made various TV and movie roles. He wrote books, a uh, couple of children's books, actually. He travelled the world. He went to the fan conventions, and I had the pleasure of meeting him myself, and it's a memory and a signed photo that I absolutely treasure. The franchise that made his name was reignited in the 21st century. Uh. They called him back once again to play his character. His final appearance was in 2015, but by this point, he was reliant on a wheelchair due to a double knee replacement a couple of years earlier. So the action sequences, he was doubled by another rather tall gentleman. They managed to get in a, a basketball player from Finland, oh, pretty right, much the okay. same height. I'm getting an idea who this might be, but I, I don't want to chance my hand. So would you like to tell me who it is? Uh, well, usually it's summed up by the noise, which is... Ah, Star Wars. There you go. That was Chewbacca, the character. That was the great Peter Mayhew. Oh, right. So Peter yeah. Mayhew was actually yeah. born in Barnes. Yeah. He left us in 2019. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. 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 Nice place, the part of the world, Barnes. Yeah. Of course, connected with um, Mark Bolan. Yeah. As yeah. Well. The great Tragic. Mark Bolan yeah, died tragically. there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm enjoying myself. Keep going. <laughs> well, this one here... This one surprised me, actually. Um, this man and his twin sister were born in December 66 in Paddington. 
Their parents were both very successful Canadian actors who had been living and working in England for some time. The family moved to California in 1968, and his parents divorced in 1970, so he moved to Canada. So his, his parents were Canadian. Yep. He was born in London, and his parents were already famous when they were here. They were, yeah. Okay. Tell me a bit more. I think I've got an idea. He had his first acting role in a movie in 1983, and he appeared alongside his father, so no pressure there. During his early days as a jobbing actor, he was roommates with Robert Downey Jr. After receiving critical acclaim in a film called The Bay Boy, roles just came at him thick and fast. He worked with Rob Reiner, Joel Schumacher, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Sean Penn, Christopher Walken, Meg Ryan, Terrence Stamp... Well, I know who his father is then. Oh, okay, there you go. (laughs) So that'll give us a clue that I've probably guessed who the son is. Well, he rose to, like, true stardom up until the 90s, really, when he was in Flatliners, A Few Good Men. Does he actually acknowledge that he's a Londoner? Oh, I think he's mentioned it several times, actually, yeah. I mean, he's also, over the last five or six years, gone into music as well, and I've been to a couple of his gigs. Right. He does some great uh, country and rock So we're talking about Donald Sutherland's son. We are indeed. Kiefer Sutherland. One of the most unique names in the world, yeah. Absolutely, I've, yeah. I've seen him play live, and he's fantastic. I recommend his albums. Right. But uh, yeah, How, he, how he rec- old was he when he left Paddington then to return to the States? Uh, so if he moved up there in 68, he was uh, two. Oh, so he again, right. So, yeah, these people all seem to have one thing in common. They've all, for some strange reason, they all yeah. moved out of London when they were quite young. Maybe they know something. Indeed. <laughs> Who else have we got on the list? Now, this one, I really enjoyed uh, looking this lady up because I was always a fan. She was born in Hackney. In oh, 19, born in Hackney? Yeah, okay. in 1909. She was the youngest of three and educated at the partially selective Dame Alice Owen School in Islington, oh, which, right, is, which has school. since moved. Yeah, it's, it's out in Potter's Barn. Yeah. It is indeed. Yeah. In 1927, she was 18 and made her professional debut on the London stage. Uh, by the 30s, she was starring opposite John Gilgood, Laurence Olivier in some of Shakespeare's most famous Top notch. plays. Uh, this led to movie roles. She was married to Jack Hawkins, the actor, for eight years. But when they divorced, she moved to the US, uh, where she married the Canadian actor Hume Cronin. Their chemistry on and off the screen was so plain to see. They appeared in 13 movies together over the next 50 years, not to mention radio shows and on Broadway together as well. Oh, it's appeared... the Hackney connection that's confusing me and obviously oh, okay. going to Alice Owen's school. OK, well, she appeared in The Birds, the Alfred Hitchcock oh, movie. Oh, right. She was in the TV series Alfred Hitchcock Presents. She won Tony Awards. Uh, one of her Tony Awards was for her portrayal of Blanche Dubois. She was the first actress to play that character in A Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway. And she was in movies like The World According to Garp, Batteries Not Included. Right, come on, put me out my misery. Cocoon, Cocoon 2. And her biggest role was opposite Morgan Freeman. Who are we talking about? That's Jessica Tandy. Oh, right. So she was born in Hackney. Yeah. She doesn't sound like she had a Hackney no, accent. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Oh, and she went to Alice in school. That's interesting. I know quite a few people who went to that school. Oh, re- oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Well, for that final movie, I mean, talk about a renaissance in a career. She won an Academy Award for Best Actress, a BAFTA and a Golden Globe just for that movie alone. Brilliant. Oh, Hackney's finest. Okay, anybody else? Now, I'm certainly going to get this one. 
almost certain. This man was born in King's Cross in 1926. His father, Charlie, was a barber who in 1935 acquired a hairdresser's at 57 Marchmont Street, Bloomsbury, just around from where we live. Oh, I've got a pretty good idea. Was it one of the carry-on characters? It was indeed. Kenneth? Yep. <laughs> Kenny Williams. Kenneth Williams. Yeah. yeah, I've seen the blue plaque there in Marchmont Street. Yeah. I didn't realise he was actually born in King's Cross because he's another one. When you listen to him speak, Yeah. there isn't that sort of clear, defined London accent there, is there? Well, that's because during the Blitz, he was evacuated to Oxfordshire. And it was his first encounter with what I suppose we could define as sort of educated, middle-class, old-fashioned England surroundings. And it's where he thrived. And when he returned to London, much to his father's annoyance, he had adopted this new vowel, elongated accent. So his father was obviously a Cockney barber, basically. Yeah, and apparently he was... His father was uh, was not really a very nice man, so you can see where the two may have clashed oh, I see. over the years. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up in the army. He joined Rep Theatre. He was actually working for ENSA, the Entertainment National Service Association. Oh, right, for the troops. Yeah, yeah and that's where he honed his his skills in the army. Oh, right. Um, and he was spotted. I mean, he's he he wanted to be a serious actor, but yeah. then unfortunately, his comic brilliance. Was so he actually, pretty. I know he lived um, near the top of Great Portland Street because there's also oh, yeah. a plaque there to him near the White House Hotel. I, yeah. That's where he lived. So he never actually strayed far from his roots, did no, he? No, not really, no. He always no. stuck around in In, in that sort of area, London, really. yeah. Yeah, yeah well, very interesting. Yeah. Any more? Well, the final one on the list here, uh, if you get this one, then you're officially a legend. Okay, I doubt if I'll ever be that. Because <laughs> I didn't know this one. He was born Saul Hudson in Hampstead in 1965. His mother was an African-American fashion designer and costumier. She had clients like David Bowie, Ringo Starr, Janis Joplin. His father was an English artist who created album covers for musicians like Neil Young. He spent his first few years in Stoke-on-Trent before moving to L.A., I mean, that's that's quite a leap. So was he young when he moved as well? He was, yeah. He was only about three or four years old. Right, when okay. He, he often travelled with his mother for work, where he met several actors and musicians on the way. One actor, Seymour Cassell, gave him his iconic stage name, which is just one word. So there's your clue. He was influenced by The Stones, Jeff Beck, Cream, Led Zeppelin. He taught himself to play guitar. He joined a band in the mid-'80s, that even before they got a record deal, were described as the most dangerous band in the world. Ah, okay. He shoplifted a black felt top hat and a Native American-style concho belt and combined them to create the headwear that became one of his ultimate Guns and Roses. There you go. Slash and Guns and Roses. There we go. Okay, I didn't do too badly there. Yeah, no, you did really well there. And in fact, he has acknowledged his birthplace so often... He even named his son London. Really? Yeah. Oh, so he's obviously... Oh, I like to hear when they're proud of where they sort of came yeah. from originally. Yeah. So um, just a, a sort of... A, as we're coming to sort of the end of our chat, um, obviously the great Charlie Chaplin, for example... Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, ...was born in London. Yeah. Um, because he has a few... Plaques. He was in and around the Kennington area of sort of south-east uh, yeah. London. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually... Um, There are a couple of blue plaques around there to him, but one thing I didn't know know about him was when he died in 1977, his coffin 
was dug up and stolen. No. Absolutely true. It was held for ransom to extort money from his widow, Una Chaplin. She called their bluff and didn't pay. She contacted the authorities, and two months later, the thieves were caught, and Chaplin's coffin was found in a field beside a nearby village. But that was in America, presumably. That was in, that was in Switzerland. Oh, in Switzerland? Yeah, because wow. he got slung out of America. Oh, of course um, he did, yes. Yeah, and he ended yeah. up living in Veve. Yeah. Beautiful well, he's got a statue in Leicester Square. He does indeed. He's got, I think, two to three plaques in the Kennington area. Yeah. So, so to finish off, we won't obviously go into sort of biographic of these people, but um, give well, me any other famous people that are Londoners. Well, just to, I just want to stick with Chaplin just for one moment because okay. I just want to throw you a little curveball here. Many years ago, even though Chaplin himself believed he was born in East Street in Woolworth in South London, yeah. many years ago I was talking about Chaplin on a tour and a guy interjected to dispute Chaplin's place of birth. It was, was news to me, so I let him continue. And I've looked this up and I'm not sure if it's the stubborn Londoner in me that rejects the idea or what, but see what you think. According to the story, Chaplin's daughter Victoria found a letter to Chaplin in a locked drawer in her father's old desk in 1991. That was 14 years after he died. Right. The letter was dated from the 70s, and the sender claims to have known the truth about Chaplin's birth. The letter said that Chaplin's mother, Hannah, was descended from a travelling family and that he had actually entered the world in a caravan in what is now known an area known as the Black Patch in Smethwick near Birmingham which at the time was a thriving Romany community. That could explain the lack of birth certificate for Charlie Chaplin, because there isn't one. And oh, there's no right. record so I wonder how birth. he ended up being, being associated with Kennington, yeah. because there are plaques that he definitely lived in the area. So he may have been born into a gypsy family, and Chaplin's son, Michael, seems to have been convinced. because of Shades of Peaky Blinders. Yeah, possibly. Because a few years ago, he actually went to that spot, Chaplin's son, and there was a huge ceremony, and he unveiled a plaque. Oh, wow. That's so I'll leave it up to you to decide. Well, uh, I, I still know. stick with the fact he was a Londoner, but yeah. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm going to do the same. OK. So to sort of end, end our chat today, you could just give me a couple of people that I might be surprised about that were Londoners. Sort of uh, honorary mentions. As honorary well, mentions, yeah. yeah. Just give me a few so I can go the, away happy uh, man. The great Cat Stevens. Oh, right. Also known as Yusuf Islam. Right. He was born in Marylebone, but he spent a lot of his childhood... Um, on Shaftesbury Avenue and uh, Denmark Street and yeah, uh, Drury yeah, Lane. Yeah. Um, he was actually born Stephen Dimitri Giorgio. Oh, OK. Uh, Tony Hadley, Gary Kemp, Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet, Barbara Windsor. Oh, I knew again. Barbara was a Londoner. You could tell by the way she spoke, yeah. And, of course, Adam Ant, um, yeah. Amy Winehouse, Norman Wisdom, Sasha Baron Cohen. Well, Norman Wisdom interests me because Amy Winehouse, again, she had a London accent. Yeah, of course. Norman Wisdom, not so much. Yeah, there was a hint of Cockney in there, but I suppose in the movies he had to neutralise it a little, yeah. I suppose, yeah. But uh, Tom Hardy, I mean, the man of a yeah, thousand characters. Yeah, absolutely. Benedict Cumberbatch, Miranda Hart, Frank Bruno, Sterling Well, I knew Moss. Frank was a Londoner again. Oh, yeah, of course. He yeah. Was, he's from Hammersmith. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sterling Moss, the great racing okay. car driver. And... My one of my absolute heroes. He died in 1973, age 44. Jimmy Beck, also known as James Beck. He was Private Walker in Dad's Army. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, I love Dad's Army. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. he left us way too soon, Jimmy yeah, Beck. Yeah, absolutely. Actor. So, yeah. Oh, right. oh, not to mention as well, well Quadrophenia's own Phil Daniels. Oh yeah. Well, again, he you can Got tell he's a Londoner by the way he speaks. So, yeah. but it is interesting, and the, the theme that ran through a lot of these people we talked about was the fact that they left at quite an early age. Yeah. 
And that gave them the opportunity, I suppose, to thrive where they went to and, and obviously to make it big. Yeah. Jamie, thank you very much indeed. Um, no, thank you. It's, it's always a pleasure to meet you and have a chat. <laughs> Speak soon. You too, mate. Lovely to see you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.